Hey everyone, I'm back from my break. I meant to record a voice message a little while ago, but ended up just putting it in the last show notes that I would be taking a break while baseball season finished up. I'll be continuing my series through Galatians, and I wanted to take a second to thank you, the listeners. I had a handful of people reach out during my break time and express their gratitude for the podcast. I'll admit, any time I've contemplated putting something out on the web, a huge part of me has wondered if it is useful at all, if it is helping give people a word of encouragement. So for those who reached out, a huge thank you. It has encouraged me to try and continue this work. Today, you'll hear a sermon I preached at Hope near the end of this past June, and next week, my hope is to continue the Galatians series. Enjoy, and God bless. If you don't mind, I'd like to read the uh, passage from today again so I can point out a couple of things from it as I preach. Again, our text today is Mark 6, verses 45 through 52. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him. And were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Jesus, Help us see what you would have us see, and to hear what you would have us hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So it is the middle of baseball season for me, and that means uh, quite a few late nights for us. Uh, This past couple of weeks, my uh, mom and my dad, or sometimes both of them, will come to a game, which makes it a lot easier for Liz to come to the game. And so she'll bring the kids, and... Normally, the varsity game starts pretty late and uh, ends around 9.30 or so. And then we have, you know, 20-ish minutes of uh, field work and getting things cleaned up. And uh, inevitably, as the coach, you're always the last one to leave. Uh, And so these past two weeks, Elise has actually driven home with me uh, at about 9.30 or 10 o'clock. The first time, two weeks ago when we did that, we had to turn the lights off at the field And so she was very concerned that we would get stuck in the dark. And so she held my hand as we raced to the car to get there before it went dark. And then uh, as we got to the car, uh, you know, we drove from Alta to Storm Lake. And in between, there's no streetlights. So she wanted to hold my hand while we were driving in the car as well. She was a little fearful there. Um, And even uh, just a couple days ago when she came home with me again, when we actually got into the driveway, 
it was again 10 o'clock, so it was very dark. And, and this is a very familiar place, right? We've walked up those stairs about a hundred times, and yet it was really dark, and she wanted to hold my hand because she was fearful again of walking up the stairs. Fred Rogers has said that one of the most important things you can do for children is to remember what it was like to be a child. I've been trying that a little bit more lately, uh, recognizing my own fears and insecurities that happen uh, in connection to where I see them with my children. I remember when I was a kid, I would, uh, we had a downstairs where the, the light switches worked out that you had to hit the one and then kind of run through the darkness in order to get to the stairs. And so I'd always hit the light and sprint up the stairs, hoping that the uh, monster or the darkness wouldn't engulf me from the back. And if I'm honest, um, I still find myself cognizant of this when I'm in an unfamiliar house or a dark staircase. It still feels like maybe there's something behind me. It's kind of weird how that uh, still happens, but it makes sense. Darkness is scary. Uh, There are unknowns, what ifs. I'm not quite sure what's in the darkness. And there's this sense in which we never actually really grow up. These childlike fears we have are either subsumed or recast in a more adult-friendly light. Our text today in Mark 6, there's this common occurrence that happens in the scriptures where uh, God's people are afraid. And then there's this response that says, take courage, right? Don't be afraid. Take heart. It's kind of a a common thing that happens. A lot of times people will interact with God. uh, They will be afraid. And, but then there's this, hey, don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. And it makes sense that the, the text says it is night, it is dark, right before dawn is when Jesus is walking on. And surely we can give them a little bit of grace. Uh, some sort of poltergeist is walking on the, on the, on the, shore, on the water with them. Like I, I, w- I would be a little bit afraid as well. And uh, you might have heard it before, right? Uh, many of these disciples are fishermen. Uh, and so they would have been on the water before. They would have understood what uh, a bad storm was. And so for it to say that they were straining at the oars because the wind was against them communicates that this is a pretty bad storm. And it's not the first time the disciples are stuck in a storm that causes them fear as well. I was reminded as I was thinking about this, a, uh, a sermon I heard from a priest um, at a conference years ago that Liz and I went to. And he referenced this song called uh, No Reason to Run by L.A. Divine. Here's, here's how it starts. In the mirror, I see my face. I've got to let this go. What if all my decisions are fear-based? What if I lose control? I'm asking for an intervention. I've tried to fly solo. It's not a question of whether I will fall. It's how hard I hit the floor. What if all my decisions are fear-based? It's an interesting question, isn't it? And I think if we probe ourselves a little bit, we'll start to realize that a lot of the decisions I make are indeed based on fear, fear of a situation, fear of another person, fear of a relationship I have. So it begs the question, what are we afraid of? Now, certainly I'm no longer five years old. I'm not quite afraid of getting sucked down the uh, drain in the tub. However, I do wonder sometimes, what do my coworkers really think of me? You know, when I worked as a teacher or when I worked at my church, And what about you? What about the friends on your son's basketball team? What do they say about you when you're not around? What do they really think about you? Maybe you've even had the unenviable, uh, been in the unenviable position of actually accidentally coming across a conversation where they were talking about you and they didn't think you were there. 
or you caught wind from somebody else about what people really think about you. Maybe you're afraid of a conversation you've been putting off with those you oversee at your organization or business. They just haven't quite been very faithful to their work, haven't been faithful to the things that they said they've done, and it terrifies you to think about what that conversation would look like. Maybe you need to talk to your parents about how they should probably stop driving, and it's been about three years late. Maybe it's time to move into a retirement home and you feel paralyzed to have that conversation. Maybe you're much younger. How can you tell your parents that you're not enjoying what you're studying? Or even worse, that you think you got the wrong degree or job at all. And this was a job or degree that they were really excited. It was always something that the family loved. It's always something the family dreamed for you. How do you talk to your parents about the way they raised you? Some of the wounds that have been affected. Even the best parents strike wounds in their children. I'm not looking forward to that conversation in about 20 years. Will my child ever reconcile with me? Why do they keep making those decisions? How will I know when to talk to my spouse about the huge financial mistake I made six months ago? When should I talk to my best friend about how lonely I've been feeling? Why does it feel like no one wants to be my friend? Why don't they invite me to anything? Will I always be single? Maybe you're fearful of being found out. The deep, dark secret that no one but you knows about. Paul Zoll calls this the boys in the basement, the things that we hide in the basement and we don't let come upstairs. The eating disorder you have, the depression you've struggled with, your internet search history. We could go on, but suffice to say, we are a fearful, afraid people if we sit in it and just think about it and not ignore it for a minute. And this makes sense. Evolutionarily speaking, of course we would be, right? We had to pay attention to the snake in the jungle that was going to kill us, right? We need to look at the negative things because they're the things that keep us alive. We are hardwired to notice this negativity. Social media is a good example of this, right? What becomes viral or uh, becomes most popular is not the positive messages, but the negative ones. I had a recent experience on Twitter where controversial topic, I had listened to just a fantastic podcast that I thought did a great job of having a discussion in a nuanced way about it. I said, hey, listen to this. This is great. It really helped me. And then there was two really snarky, witty replies that got a lot of traction. You know, likes, retweets, replies as well to theirs um, that took a dig at me and and everybody loved them. And I took a couple days and I finally responded to both of them. I said, hey, did you actually listen to the podcast? I can't really have this conversation in 320 characters. It's quite nuanced. I said, my mind was actually changed because of the podcast. No replies, no likes, no retweets. Negativity is the thing that gets the most pub. We are hardwired to notice these things. We are hardwired to notice our fears. Heck, the first response we see from Adam and Eve when they sin and have to interact with God is what? Fear. Over and over in the scriptures, when people interact with God, their first response is fear. And that is the connection we have with today's text. Fear of the storms as we see the disciples straining at the oars as the wind is against them. Fear of God himself when they are rightfully terrified when a ghost is walking towards them. And over and over, God says in the scriptures, do not be afraid. Take heart, take courage. But why? Why should we not be afraid? Three observations that I think will help us with this. 
Number one, Jesus condescends. He condescends, and that means he becomes lower than he ought to have to. So in heaven, Jesus is rightfully seated at the throne right next to God. But he gives that throne up in order to come down into the muck and the mire to connect with our frailties, with our difficulties, with our fears, with our struggles. He becomes one of us. He condescends. Notice in the text today that Jesus sees them and he could have just snapped his fingers and calmed the storm. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? He walks into the storm with them. And he doesn't calm it. He's completely calm himself, even as the disciples are absolutely terrified. Jesus enters into the storm with them and makes it his own. Jesus does not promise to take away the storm in our lives, but he does promise to be present within it. And we ultimately see this at the cross where Jesus identifies so deeply with sinners that he who knew no sin actually becomes sin. It's not just that he forgave our sin. It's that he, in a sense, even though he never sinned once, becomes the worst sinner that there ever was because he took on the, whole, the sins of the whole world. He actually took on our fears. He actually took on our uh, frailties. He actually took on the difficulties and the struggles that we have. Those sins became his on the cross. It's not just that he can sort of intellectually understand what you're going through. It's that he himself went through it because he took it on. And so the first reason that you should not be afraid is because Jesus condescends to be with you in the muck and the mire, the struggles, the fears that you are going through. The second reason that you should not be afraid is It's because Jesus does not need your faith. You might have been wrongly told at some point in your life that if you just had more faith, God would have healed that person. If you just had more faith, you wouldn't be struggling with that anymore. But that does not connect with the text today. You see, in the text today, it's it's located in three places, Matthew, Mark, and John. And in all three, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 immediately precedes it. There's a lot we could say about the connection between between these two, but suffice to say, for my point, it says in our text that their hearts were hardened previously in the feeding of the 5,000, that they did not understand. And actually, later, in a couple instances, he's going to, right here in in Mark, he's going to feed the 4,000, and they're still not going to get it. Surely they would have been Well, man, he he fed the 5,000. I think we've seen this play out before, right? And to be clear, when you're called hard-hearted, that is not a good thing scripturally. That is really bad. And these are followers of Christ. These are the disciples. Sometimes we give them quite too much credit. There is no sense in which they have great faith before Jesus enters in to their fears in the storm. He does not wait for a proclamation of faith before he calms the storm either. In fact, the storm calms after all of that has happened. And in fact, in the the Matthew account of this, 
it's added the story of Peter walking out on the water and then falling and Jesus grabbing him before he sinks. In the preacher playbook, there's a common interpretation for this story, right? It's pretty simple. You open it up and it's, what was Peter's problem? Took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked at the storm. All he had to do is keep his eyes on Jesus and he would have been good. And it makes the text quite us-centric or Peter-centric or human-centric. If Peter would have just, he would have been fine. And yet, that is not exactly what's going on in the text. You see, Jesus doesn't command Peter to come out on the water in the Matthew account of this story. Peter says, hey, if it's you, command me to come out. And Jesus just goes, come. That's it. And so he comes out and he starts to sink and Jesus rescues him as he's sinking. It's quite interesting. Peter is an idiot and gets out of the boat And in his idiocy, Jesus goes, I got you. It's very much what we do, right? I've got this God. I can come out to you. I've got great faith. No, you don't. But I'll rescue you anyways. And actually, in the Matthew account, Jesus, when he grabs him and rescues him, he says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? He saves him in his sense of having little faith. Not at having great faith. Jesus does not need your faith to rescue you. It is a gift that he will give you. And so that is the second reason that we cannot be afraid. That he does not need us to have some super faith. But he will rescue us in light of our lack of faith. For when we are faithless, God remains faithful. The final thing to see here is the reality that, again, the text itself, they're in the dark. It's fearful. If you've ever been in the dark, what is the only thing that can make you feel better? It's to have some sort of light shine, right? For my young kids, that's having a nightlight. If you've ever, uh, you know, been in a dark room and you've seen a shadow that you're like really freaked out about and you turn on the light and you're like, oh, it was just a lamp. How crazy was that? It is the light that illumines the darkness and makes us feel better about it. So the third thing we need to see is that in order for us to cast out the fears or the struggles or the things that we're hiding, in order for us to deal with the darkness, we have to get it into the light. You see, the storms calm when they've all embarrassed themselves. Again, no proclamation of faith, no strength from the disciples. But when it's very clear that they've made a fool of themselves and been afraid at God himself walking on the water and coming to be present with them, that is when the storm calms. After all of that, when they all get into the boat. After Peter has made a fool of himself and tried to just stay in the boat, man. Just stay in the boat, right? It's after that that the storms calm. Listen, if there's going to be any sort of calming of the storm, whatever it is that you're going through in your life right now, I would contend that it's not because the storm is going to go away, but because you're going to be honest that there is a storm with somebody in, the, somebody in your life, that you're going to get it out into the darkness, or excuse me, get it out in the light from the darkness. 
my family, my extended family, is continuing to kind of go through a, a difficult situation that has just kind of persisted for the past six, seven years. And throughout that six or seven years, it's kind of wavered up and down, but it always seems on the surface to get a little bit worse. People get a little bit more vindictive at things that have happened in the past. People get a little bit more frustrated and things aren't dealt with very well. But oddly enough, it feels like it's better than it has ever been. And the reason is because some of my extended family are actually talking to Liz and I about it. In the past, they've always wanted to protect us from this information. We've made it quite clear that that actually does the opposite. It does not protect us when you keep us in the dark. It makes us more worried. It makes us more uh, stressed about the situation. And so now my family will come and talk to Liz and I about things, and they'll be frustrated. They'll be angry. And they'll complain about them. And then we'll try to figure out to have some peace with it. The situation itself hasn't changed at all. It still really stinks. And yet, it feels better because our family is honest with each other about the realities of the difficulty of life. If there is any sort of application here, it is the freedom provided by Jesus for us to talk about our fears and our struggles, to get them out into the light to each other. Because Jesus not only knows them already, he's not surprised by that thing in the basement you haven't been honest about, but he has actually made that fear, that struggle, his own. He has died for it, forgiven it, and washed it in his blood. And secondly, he isn't waiting around for you to have faith before he acts upon it. You may find yourself stuck in fear, not able to talk about it, oh, you have little faith, but he has already rescued you from it. He is currently rescuing you from it. And he will rescue from it in the age to come. So take heart, take courage. There is nothing to fear in Jesus. Because of his perfect love, it casts out all our fears. Let's pray. Jesus, you reminded us in the confession today that you are light and there is no darkness at all. And if we walk in the light as you are in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. Would you make us a place where we could have fellowship with one another? That the things we struggle with would not be embarrassing, but would be normal. That we all have things that we are struggling with. Would you help us see and be freed from the embarrassment or the fear or the struggles that we have? Would you help us see and understand that you have indeed been present with us in those things, that you have taken them upon yourself and that you love us in light of them. That you're not looking from some great proclamation of faith from us, but that you save us and rescue us at our lowest when we're sinking. And so help that be the wind to our sails that we might be able to be honest with one another about the places that we're struggling and let there be listening ears, ears that don't immediately want to fix things, but just sit with one another in the difficulty of life to pray for one another and to encourage one another. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.